Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jim Daduchu, and what we do on this podcast is we take a piece of pop culture and show how it is either deliberately or sometimes subconsciously influenced by real history out there. So, I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and I'm going to take you on a journey. This time round, it's Peaky Blinders. I order the Peaky Blinders. All right, Peaky Blinders finally got round to that one. And this is one of those episodes. If you are a regular listener, you will notice every now and then I do this. If you have just come for the Peaky Blinders goodness, hi, welcome. You're going to learn a few things. I bet you don't know some of the things I'm going to be telling you. I'll remember everything. But, as a word of warning, this is an example of a piece of pop culture that I don't like. I'll get the popcorn. Now, you might find that a bit weird if you listen to me talking about Boardwalk Empire, about gangsters in the 1920s, whereas this is about gangsters in the 1920s. Boardwalk Empire was in the 2010s, and that's the same era that Peaky Blinders started. So, Jem, why do you love, and I absolutely love, Boardwalk Empire, and why are you very meh about Peaky Blinders? Well, I'll come on to that in a moment. Look, sometimes it's just fun to be a bit cynical and pick things to pieces a little bit rather than just sit there and say, I love this and you should love this and let's get into this and off we go. I am at Jem Daduchu on Twitter. If you fundamentally disagree with everything I'm about to say, you're wrong and you're a grotesquely ugly freak. Be nice, but you can find me there on Twitter. Maybe I might even convince you to see why I have flaws in this or why I see flaws in this. But yes, we do different things. I've mentioned two very similar topics, but I've done songs, I've done movies, I've done video games, I occasionally come up with an episode about Warhammer. Lots of variation here on Condensed Histories. Hope you enjoy it. So, the year is 2013, and I remember sitting down watching the very first episode of Peaky Blinders, which is, as I've already pointed out, it's a show about gangsters in the large industrial city of Birmingham, starting off basically in 1920, very shortly after World War I. But as the six seasons progress, we move over time into the 1930s, roughly the mid-1930s. And it's the story of Thomas Shelby and the Shelby family and the fact that they run this 
criminal enterprise called the Peaky Blinders. They are very, very dangerous people. Ah, now, this was all created by Stephen Knight, who I am a fan of. And don't get me wrong, Stephen Knight was the right person to get involved in this, and I'll come on to that in a moment. But just a little bit of the resume of, I think he is even now Sir Stephen Knight? Could be wrong about that. That's not entirely accurate. Definitely deserves that knighthood if he hasn't got it. Why is Jim being so nice about something he doesn't like? Anyway, but listen to this. There is a great Tom Hardy movie called Locke, L-O-C-K-E, and it's almost entirely in a car. It's just Tom Hardy in a car, driving somewhere. It's not exactly done in one take, but, you know, you have to be a good writer to get some, and an actor, obviously, as well, to get the dramatic juice of just being in a car, taking various phone calls. It's not just him stuck in a traffic jam. It's a great, obviously relatively low-budget film, great piece of acting going on there. And then there's also, he was also the writer for Eastern Promises. This is an amazing gangster flick set with the, the Eastern European, largely Russian, organized criminals in London. And you've got Viggo Mortensen, a little time after him playing the most heroic of heroes as Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. I would have gone with you to the end, into the very fires of Mordor. This time round, playing a sort of reformed Russian gangster. There is a brutal knife fight in a sauna in that. It is so squeamish and so intense. But you get moments of, of, of that kind of level in, I guess, both Boardwalk Empire and also Peaky Blinders too. So you're sitting there thinking, oh, this all sounds gritty. He's good at his dramas. And he is. He is very good at his dramas. But he is one of the three people who created the game show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Stephen Knight has done very well commercially out of all this. But also, he's a master of several different genres of entertainment. Stephen Knight, I salute you. All right? The next thing I'm going to say is let's talk about the state of the BBC. When, when people talk, every now and then, if you are not in Britain, you might find this a little bit weird. But by law in Britain, we have to have a TV license. You know, like you might have a gun license or a dog license. Got to have a TV license. It's basically one per household. The money that is generated from this TV license, it's about £175 a year. It goes up and down. Well, it never goes down, but it goes up with inflation and things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's not the world's most expensive thing. And obviously, now that we're into the subscription world of the likes of Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever, it's the, the idea of paying for your TV channels. Most people are used to, but the BBC, if you're going to compare it to like Netflix, is still more by maybe 50% more. But the argument is you get all this good stuff advert free. No commercial breaks on BBC One or BBC Two, or indeed any of the radio stations or BBC World. The BBC is 100 years old, started in radio, moved into TV. It was actually using a mechanical form of television and it was broadcasting just before World War II. That's how old the BBC is in terms of TV. It's pretty amazing. And so when you get situations like the Ukrainian war, or you get situations like a summary of the COVID pandemic, the BBC News beats every other country's news hands down, particularly in America, where it's all so partisan. 
you know, if you cannot stomach the right wing views of Fox News, you're going to listen to MSNBC. But, you know, quite frankly, they're just as, as sort of like democratic as Fox News is Republican. It's very hard to find a middle ground. And if you're sitting there going, oh, come on, Jim, BBC's a mouthpiece for the government. Consider this. There have been moments in my own lifetime where both Labour, left wing, and Conservative, right wing, in Britain have complained about the biases of the BBC. They can't possibly be biased to the two different ends of the political spectrum. So, you know, the BBC News is a, is a great one. Doctor Who, let's face it, that, that started at the time when Winston Churchill was still alive. Doctor? Yes, what is it? What do you want? Yes, it went off our screens for about 15 years. And we've got all the marvellous Sir David Attenborough documentaries and nature documentaries just in general. Strictly as well. You know, it, it's this great bastion of the best of Britain, sort of. Because I'm now going to get to the year 2010. I mentioned in a previous podcast, I think to do with Boardwalk Empire, actually, is this all this great renaissance of TV that we're living in now started with The Sopranos that came out right at the end of the 1990s and then into the early 2000s. I'm serious. Now, serious is what happens if you don't pay by my hand. And really, it was showing everybody about, you know, what we can be just as adult, just as complex as a movie, even more so, maybe, you know, because we've got hours and hours and hours to portray and change these characters and put them on a journey as opposed to even a long movie like the godfather it well godfather part two is nearly three hours long and that was considered exceptionally long exceptionally complicated complex in the 1970s it's great don't get me wrong i love the godfather movies but sopranos just has more time to play with these people so that all stuff happened in the early 2000s bbc meanwhile is still pouring out you know, new versions of Pride and Prejudice and so on and so forth. Basically, if we're talking about drama for the BBC, you're going to have to either wear a bonnet or be a bobby because it's either a police procedural or it's something from the 19th century. It's rather limited in its scope of things. Oh, here's another thing by Shakespeare. Here's another adaptation of Dickens. Now, these are great, but do we need another one? Thank you very much. I'm going to take the year 2010. By the time we get to 2010, the Sopranos isn't even running anymore. But what we've got is clearly the American market is doing more and more of that kind of stuff. I'll give you an idea. By 2010, we'd had the launch of Game of Thrones. By 2010, that's the year that the first series of Boardwalk Empire came out. It's also the year the first series of The Walking Dead came out. And also, if you loved Band of Brothers, this amazing HBO miniseries about soldiers in World War II on the Western Front, their sequel to this, or sort of spiritual sequel, The Pacific, which is about soldiers in the Pacific campaign of World War II, that also came out in 2010. By comparison, you've still got the BBC doing what they've always done, and they've done it well, but it's looking, it's looking inferior to anything I've just mentioned coming out of America. So. 2013, finally we see the BBC responding to all of this. It's taken them basically 10 years to change their minds on programming, and you get Peaky Blinders in 2013. But by 2013, there'd been three series of Boardwalk Empire, and they were basically about the same thing, organised crime in the 1920s, just in different countries. When I sat down and watched the first episode of Peaky Blinders, I had seen stuff like it before because I was consuming the American stuff. But it filled me with a sense of pride 
that we're getting this from the BBC. We get this is a British production, and now we can finally trade blows with the giants of America, particularly your HBOs of this world, and we're up at the same level of quality. Yay, Britain! Except even in the first series, there was still a level of Britishness to it, because if you look at something like, let's take Game of Thrones for example, or The Walking Dead, there is this overarching character arcs for these people. But it's written by lots of different people. So usually with these kind of prestige programs like Breaking Bad, etc., most of them are round about 10 episodes, 12 episodes maximum per series. Netflix tends to do eight episodes a series. Peaky Blinders, because it was basically all written by Stephen Knight, six episodes per series. So we've had six series, six sixes are 36. That's about halfway through the story of Breaking Bad, and we can all agree that Breaking Bad's awesome, but Breaking Bad wasn't just written by one guy. We're starting to get the usual thing of like, let's have six episodes and we're done. The other thing I noticed was it was gorgeous to look at. But after a while, you start noticing the directorial tricks, and they are still happening in season six. Somebody, I will assume, has cut all of these out and spliced them all together to some cool music of men in coats walking slowly towards the camera. Sometimes it's the women walking in coats walking slowly towards the camera. Can we stop walking in slow-mo now? 20 more yards. All done to very modern music. It looks awesome. But there is a point at which you're saying, get on with it. I remember in season five, there was this very cool shot, basically the driver's view of the bonnet of a car, the front of a car, and obviously this is a sort of like classic 1920s vehicle, driving along. It looked really amazing. But they used the same type of trick on three different cars for three different shots in the same damn episode. I'm sorry, it's a directorial flourish. It's a piece of cinematography. If you use it three times in the space of 50 minutes, I'm not entirely sure it's a flourish anymore. So yeah, it's very stagey. Now, of course, all the things I've mentioned, Game of Thrones, you know, there's no such thing as dragons, Breaking Bad, I, you know, I've never been to Albuquerque, and I've certainly never been a drug dealer, and you get the idea. Obviously, all of these are sort of like slightly heightened. Some of these are obviously sort of like framed perfectly to give you a cinematic thrill, but it's like sometimes with writing, I'm not saying this about Peaky Blinders, but sometimes you can hear the writer. It's all like, I want to say this point. It's like, no, it should sound like natural dialogue. Occasionally that does happen in Peaky, bit on, bit more on that in a minute. But certainly visually, while it was a leap forwards for anything that you'd seen on the BBC before, you'd kind of seen stuff like that before on, in America. And the fact that they kept reusing the same old, same old, I don't know, just didn't make it quite as good, in my opinion. This is obviously just my opinion. The other thing was, in the first series, it's like, this is very similar to Boardwalk Empire, and Boardwalk Empire is just simply doing it better. So I sort of, like, stopped watching Peaky for a while, waited for the end of Boardwalk Empire, and then I came back to it. Now, I want to be clear, the actors are awesome. As I said, the cinematography is excellent. The attention to detail is sort of there. Again, more on, more on that in a little bit. but. It kind of looks like the 1920s. You know, everybody's putting their best efforts into this. Killian Murphy, you know, he was a model. Now, admittedly, by 2013, he'd appeared in multiple Christopher Nolan movies and had proven to everybody that he's a good actor. 
he was obviously in, in 28 Days Later as well, and he was sort of great in, in, in that. But he'd never had to be the star, you know, the, having the whole weight of an entire TV series on his shoulders. And not only does he do a great job, but he does so looking incredibly cool. He is basically the same age as me. I wish I had his level of hair, and I certainly wish I had his cheekbones. So, Mr. Murphy, respect to you. There is obviously a tragedy I would like to mention here. Helen McCrory, who was the sister. So, Killian Murphy plays Thomas Shelby, and I've already mentioned this is the Shelby family and their connection to the Peaky Blinders. And all of the Shelby's siblings are sort of like key to this criminal enterprise. And Helen McCrory plays the sister to Killian Murphy. And sadly, she passed away in 2021. Now, I saw Helen McCrory with her husband, Damien Lewis, that other actor, best known in Billions, and he was also in Band of Brothers. He's a, he's a really good actor, too. I saw them at Chessington World of Adventures at the hotel. Basically, me and my family, we were about to leave, and they were about to go into Chessington and have a fun family day out. But it was raining a bit. So I saw these two actors who I really respect, Damien Lewis in particular. I really love him in, in, in those two things I've just mentioned and other things as well. But at no point when I was looking at them were they actors. This was a mother and father dealing with young, excitable children who didn't really want to get into their raincoats. And they're sort of wrestling them in, in the nicest way that all parents do to, to young children. And I, ju I just remember seeing that moment. It's got to be sort of burned into my head. It was just before the first lockdown, just before everything went to hell. And I just looked at them and went, what a lovely family. That's great. So I want to be clear. I am pretty sure that Helen McCrory was a wonderful woman, and clearly she was a devoted mother. Damien Lewis has stopped doing billions because the, of the death of his wife. And, you know, she, she was a woman in her 40s. She didn't deserve to, to die that young. This is all a tragedy and a shame. I do, however, want to say one other thing, that I personally wasn't a huge fan of her acting, particularly in this, where she sort of swaggers around all the time, smoking a little black cigarettes. She just looked smug. I think she was trying to look powerful, but it just didn't work for me. I am very sorry. That is the only negative thing I'll say there. Please remember, instead, the story about the raincoats and the children and Chessington. That was a lovely, lovely moment that I was felt privileged to just sort of see just going on in the corner of the foyer. So, you've lost one of your actors. A little bit, you know, it wasn't my kind of cup of tea. But the problem here is that everybody is, this is the thing you have to struggle with as soon as you're putting something in historical era. How historical are you going to make it? And this is the thing that clearly Boardwalk Empire had to make a, a call for as well. Now, what do I mean by that? In Boardwalk Empire, it wasn't the point of the show. They didn't try to hide it in any way, but they just sort of clearly upfront about the amount of racism towards black people in the 1920s. It was a part, it was an overarching, one of the many strands that were in that show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But with Peaky Blinders, we've got a bunch of criminals that are, you know, working class. These are not well-read gentlemen and ladies of the aristocracy. They are your bread-and-butter working-class people. I am curious, what was your father's profession? Well, he, uh, he told fortunes and he stole horses. Living in an industrial part of, of Britain, and in the case of Thomas Shelby and others, they've just come back from World War I, and yet their sensibilities are completely 21st century. They've got a number of black people in their organisation, that is great. It is great to see, you know, because it could just be a bunch of white men, which in the modern world, people are going to say, well, I don't really relate to that. And that was who the Peaky Blinders actually were. More on the real ones in a bit. So, yeah, I get why they're doing it, but it's not very realistic. And then, jumping forwards to the sixth season, we've got this scene in allegedly this sort of like French-Canadian island, and it turns out Thomas Shelby's fluent in French. And they said, well, you know, where'd you learn French? He goes, wounds weren't the only thing I picked up in World War One. Yeah, I learned a lot of things in France. No way. No way. Sorry, I'm so sorry, but the British just generally are world-renowned for not bothering to learn anybody else's language. You're telling me your average Tommy is suddenly wanting to learn French? They're not surrounded by Frenchmen. They would have been in the British Army in a British trench. Where are the French people to learn French from? And also, we've got places like Ypres in northern France, which they just called wipers because they couldn't pronounce it. The English were notoriously slapdash at pronouncing any kind of foreign language. I do not believe for one second that Thomas Shelby... Oh, and by the way, he specifically, he was a sapper. It's a really interesting part of the war. These were the men who didn't just fight, but they actually dug trenches 
and tunnels underneath enemy installations where they might put explosives to, to blow them up or maybe to even break into them. And there was vicious hand-to-hand, -hand, close quarter in the almost total dark of these, of these sort of tunnels. It's an incredibly dangerous, incredibly brave thing to do. So to make him that, you know, I, I have full respect for that. But again, while he's digging these tunnels, how often is he chatting to somebody from Marseille or something like that? The answer is not at all. I don't believe it. And there are other examples too. I'll give you one that you can sound really, really smart in. In the same episode, they point out that the year is 1934, and yet one person, not one of the Peaky Blinders, but one of the people refers to a Molotov cocktail. Now, the having something full of oil that's easily breakable that you can turn into a an incendiary device has been around since the time of the Romans. So that is nothing new. But when we specifically talk about petrol bombs, that's more of a 19th century invention where specifically it's a glass bottle. You would never have used glass in the Roman times. Glass was too expensive. You would have used a clay pot. So yes, a glass bottle filled two thirds full with petrol or oil, diesel, whatever, and then putting in a rag at the top, turning it upside down so there's a bit of the, uh, of the petrol into the rag so you, it's easily lightable, and then you throw it and it smashes and it spreads it everywhere. That absolutely existed in 1934, but calling it a Molotov cocktail did not start until 1939, when something happened that you might be thinking, oh, this is World War Two, isn't it? This is, this is the, um, something to do with the, the Russians. And it's like, well, it is something to do with the Russians, but not the way you think, and it actually isn't to do with World War Two. Because in 1939, in the winter, the Soviet Union decided that they were going to try their luck and invade Finland. Let's face it, Finland's population was less than 10% of the entire of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union had tanks and artillery. What did the Finns have? Desiccated reindeer jerky? But actually it turned out to be a colossal disaster. The Finns fought incredibly hard, they managed to slow down the Russian advance to a crawl, and that's why later on, and actually Stalin was brought to the negotiation table, which nobody was expecting, and yes, the Finns did actually have to concede some territory, but they were left alone by the Soviet Union. And at the time, the, if you like, the foreign secretary, the head of the foreign office of the Soviet Union was Molotov. So the local Finns were sending a message back to Molotov by throwing these petrol bombs, hence Molotov cocktails. You know, drink one of these, Molotov. So actually, it's, it, the name itself is anti-Russian, although it's got a Russian name. And as you can see, quite clearly, nobody would have called that, that in 1934. What a mistake of the maker. But it's an example of, it's like, oh, you know, we're, we're being clever here, sort of like making these references, and actually you're being a little too clever. It's got famous people in, from history in it, like Oswald Mosley, Winston Churchill. You prefer Irish to Scotch. Yes, Mr. Churchill. There are various sort of czarist groups in the early series because, you know, there's the Russian Civil War going on. So that, you know, if you like, Thomas Shelby keeps bumping up against real people from history, but at times he's a bilingual, multiracial, you know, equal opportunities for, for women. And it's like, all these things are good. Don't get me wrong. I'm pro all of these things, but that is not how somebody in a, in a crime gang in Birmingham in the 1920s would have ever thought. He is a very modern creation. Also, 
there's sort of like moments about addiction and they don't literally use the phrase it's a disease but clearly the point here is that we need to treat the the individual with, with sort of kindness again i agree with that that is exactly what we should be doing in the 21st century but that is not how it was seen in the 20th century particularly in birmingham in the 1920s and 30s so yeah you're using completely inappropriate language and yet you're trying to be all sort of super super relevant to that era and sort of cleverly dropping in references to historical or political figures either in britain or ireland or america to sort of show that yes we've done our homework well you kind of have and you kind of haven't i'm i'm terribly sorry for all of this you might be thinking jim you're really nitpicking here but if you're going to set them in a you know 1930 outfit in a real lovely art deco hallway why are you suddenly making them talk like they're from 2020 or something like that 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 to me is like no that that's doesn't work for me sorry i have gone on and on <laughs> thank you for bearing with me get over there about why this show irritates me it's it's basically trying too hard everybody is acting and the camera is saying look at me look at me look at the cool shot i've just done and, you know, I don't deny any of those things, but you're not trying to make this feel like a fly on the wall where I'm seeing real people talking. Instead, I feel like it's like they're show reel. It's like, look what we can do. Will you hire me for another job? There we go. All right. <sighs> Gem is calm. So let's talk a little bit about the Peaky Blinders because they were real. And the first fact I'm going to give you is going to depress you immensely. So they were largely active in the 1890s up to the 1910s. What? Jem, you kept talking about the 20s and 30s. I know. It basically had wound down by World War I. A number of the Peaky Blinders did indeed fight in World War I. But by the time they came back again, it was game over. Basically, they were wiped out. This is the thing. I'm going to mention some names. That if you like Peaky Blinders, you're going to go, yeah, yeah, I, I remember them particularly in the early series. So they were actually wiped out in a move by Billy Kimber. Now, Billy Kimber was a part of the Peaky Blinders, but he actually then created his own gang. And so by the 1920s, the Peaky Blinders were no longer a going concern. However, slang in Birmingham tended to call any kind of criminal gang Peaky Blinders, but they certainly weren't the original ones. The other group that sort of moved into the area that ultimately sort of wiped out the Peaky Blinders was the Sabini gang, which again, if you have been watching it, you'd be going, yeah, they were in the, in the series, and they were. And I guess as they moved along from series one and two, they've had to make things less and less historical and more and more like, let's take these characters on a journey. Another thing that's worth pointing out is it's very close connection and the Shelbys are absolutely part of the Romany Gypsy community in, in England. And Romany Gypsies are, are you know, a very important c community and minority across Europe, basically. And they even use some of the language, and they show some of the culture and customs, and basically try and demystify it and, and ma stop making it quite so other as, as it's often been portrayed in the past. All of that's very worthy, but I think you know what I'm going to say. The Peaky Blinders weren't Romany Gypsy, so... That, that's all just something else. Instead, we do have a Tommy, and he's not a Tommy Shelby. He's a Thomas Gilbert. He seems to have been, if not the founder, then certainly one of the first key people of the Peaky Blinders. There's also a guy called Harry Fowles, 
Sounds a little bit like maybe he needs to be in a boy band. But anyway, these two gentlemen, make no mistake about it, were very dangerous. What do they deal with? Hijacking, blackmail, illegal gambling. So it's basically the things you are seeing in the TV show is also the stuff that they were doing in real life. That's fairly accurate. But it leads to a conversation because when we talk about criminal gangs, sort of gangsters, if you like, we tend to think of America with things like the Irish, the Jewish, and perhaps most famously the Italian organized crime syndicates out there. We might think of sort of Eastern European gangsters as well. We might even think of like the Yakuza or triads from Asia. But generally, we don't tend to think of Britain as being a place for organized crime. Now, I, I just sort of want to talk a little bit about this. Having, you know, nobody knows for sure why or why not. It is obvious that organized gangs in Britain never got to the level of the, the mafia, you know, the five families in America. And the question has to be, well, why didn't it quite get that way? Now, obviously, there is organized crime. Moving into the 1960s, we famously get the Cray twins and their sort of reign of terror of London. There's always going to be organized crime. But what's interesting is that modern day in Britain, it tends to be organized crime from other countries rather than homegrown talent, shall we say. I've read a couple of interesting ideas about this. And basically, a lot of it kind of boils down to, well, look at Britain in the first half of the 20th century, when all these other gangs were sort of like getting there and sort of like, uh, you know, sort of carving out their territories in Chicago or whatever. Two things really differentiate Britain from America. First, the obvious one, we didn't have prohibition, which instantly criminalized a very popular pastime. And suddenly gangsters could get hold of very easy routes. It's very hard to create a gambling den and to get people to come to it and not have it busted by the cops. Whereas booze, when you've got Canada and Mexico and, and Atlantic trade supplies, very easy to get booze to America. And seeing it's not illegal in any of these other countries, they'll happily give it to you. You can talk to legitimate companies and they'll send you over 10,000 bottles. Easy. So that's one difference. But the critical difference is empire. Because if you were a hustler, if you were an adventurer, or indeed if you were just a violent individual, the British Empire had a spot for you. You know, you could have endless amounts of little fights on like the Indian borders where, with places like Afghanistan, or, you know, you know, sort of doing little colonial adventures, which using that in very much in inverted commas, in, into Africa or whatever. And, you know, if you were brave enough and lucky enough, you could well make a small fortune legitimately by trading or hustling or fighting or becoming a mercenary or whatever. So though, if you like, for people with those particular set of skills... What I do have are a very particular set of skills. There was just an easier route without having to necessarily do something you know to be illegal and could, could lose it all immediately by having the police knocking on your door and saying, you're nicked, son. So I quite like that as a theory. It is very, very complicated. What are the causes for crime? Poverty, lack of options, inequality in society. All those things count. And please, I am not saying the British Empire negated any of those things. Not at all. And indeed, if you were a person of color somewhere in the British colonies, you were never going to have it as easy as a white guy, even a working class white guy who's been brought over as part of the British Expeditionary Force or the colonial police or what have you. There was, if you like, the corruption was more imperial and international rather than more localized. 
I think that's a pretty good theory. I'm not going to turn around and say definitively that that's what it is. But, you know, in the first half of the 20th century, Britain was part of the largest empire the world's ever seen. It was the richest country in the world. And there were quite a lot of jobs. Now, absolutely, immediately after World War I, there was actually a recession and there was rioting on the streets. And we had sort of fights for Irish nationalism, which I go into in a lot more depth in the Boardwalk Empire episode. Please, you know, I, I'm not some sort of apologist here or just sort of trying to pretend that everything was hunky-dory. It wasn't. But hopefully I, I, I've given you enough options there where you can say that, you know, if you're a bit of a dodgy dodgy dealer, you know, maybe I could just get on a boat to Malaya and, and sort of like try my luck in the rubber plantations. Yeah, give that a go. Um, <laughs> You know, in a way that that might be a bit more exotic, a bit more enticing than just simply robbing people in Birmingham. Another thing about the Peaky Blinders, they did indeed wear those hats, but they didn't have razor blades in them. That was a creation purely for the TV show. I always wondered about that, thinking, you know, that doesn't make any sense. You know, the last thing you can do is going to grab your cloth cap and hopefully get the edge of it that's got razors in it to slash people. Also. You know what happens if you're drunk and you accidentally cut your hand while you're sort of like taking your hat off as you get home. Honey, I'm home. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's cool in a TV show. As soon as you start thinking about it, it doesn't make any practical, logical sense whatsoever. So there we go. That was my assassination of Peaky Blinders. I hope you enjoyed this one. I've learned something. As you can see, I'm still grumbling about it. But yeah, it does reveal an unusual part of British history. We don't tend to talk about organized crime much in Britain. We tend to almost immediately and automatically look over to America. Hope you enjoyed this one. As always, there's always another episode coming out every Tuesday. Watch out for my tweets where I sort of tell you what the latest episode is. If you could please retweet that, share the love, subscribe, all that good stuff. And then hopefully I'll speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. 
For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.